is America a great country or was she at one point? Why is America losing her place as a great nation in the world today? You know, it is the nation that along with Great Britain and the U.S., they have a legacy of abolishing slavery, polygamy, eugenics, need I go on. But now, ever since the 1960s, we've seen a disturbing trend where America, where she had excelled in military might and conquest, in scholastic uh, uh, aptitude tests, she's now failing. America is a dying nation. Why is she dying? Let's talk about that as we do a postmortem on America, watching our country stray further every day. Howdy, Jonathan Fiala for Further Every Day, sitting in the chair of the economics and uh, today also a host. Uh, I'm joined by a full panel. We got Miss Nikki on my far right. Hi, how are you? Doing well, you? I'm good today. Glad to have you there in the chair of theology, mm-hmm. dealing with why we believe what we believe. To her left, we got the Josh. How's it going? Doing well, and you? I'm doing pretty well. Like, like that was abnormally deep and throaty. <laughs> are are, are you ready to like inhabit the chair of philosophy? Oh yes, this is my radio voice. This is your. This is my radio <laughs> voice. He says, "Oh, okay, okay." I'll speak normally now. No, no. I mean, <laughs> do whatever you want, Josh. Yeah. I'm glad to have you on. To this left, we got Mr. Charlie. How's it going? We are doing great, thank you. In the chair culture, I see. Yes, when we're switching it up today. Yes, sir. You know, yeah. you and I were rotating places because we were filming all these really close and together to get through the holiday season. This will be airing right after Christmas. So uh, a belated Merry Christmas to you out Merry there. Merry Christmas. And to his left, we got the Steve Johnson. Yes, sir. He's going to do the box robot thing. Political mortician today. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> I'm working. So for those on audio, he is not... You like that one, huh? Yeah, like yeah. All He's right. He's not doing the robot today. Not, so not today. I'm balancing my. You missed the robot thing here. There it goes. Okay. <laughs> and as always, thank you, Rai Rai, the producer guy, for sitting in the producer's chair today. Glad to have Ryan, you there. Ryan, Ryan, so, Ryan. Yeah, producer okay. guy. <laughs> so let's talk about how America. What was America a great country at one point? Going around the room, would it, would anyone in here say that America was not a great nation at one point? Okay, she was great. So Josh, Josh, Josh puts mid. Okay, that's okay. We'll 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 slay uh, the wait, You know what? You need to clarify because great compared to who? If you want to compare right. to any other nation in the world, we're great. Amen. If you want to compare it to maybe some issues that well, compare it to an ideological perfectionist standard no human nation will ever come close that's right because it's full of humans right so and by the way america was born with some nasty warts yes yes and by the way in a time where every nation looked like a diseased mongoloid and as far as the morality is concerned no one looked good at the time But America is one of the only nations that has led the way in abolishing slavery, polygamy, eugenics. And that that goes back to your constitution of freedom of speech. The people being able to voice their their opinions about things that they saw that were wrong. Yes. And and having personal rights granted to them, not by the government, but by God. And so that's... Where I think a lot of people have lost the narrative, because I think, by the way, the Christian church has lost the narrative. Uh, completely. 
And so I, and, and I actually want to ask Josh about this in just a moment, but I, I, I want to kind of lead us down, down a little bit of a path here and see what the left says about America, how America was ever a great nation. By comparison to whom? But you ask them, why is it not a great nation? They're going to say the patriarchy, like Donald Trump, Christian nationalism. No. And, and, and none, of those, none of those words were in their lexicon 10 years ago. Right. Like, they didn't know who Donald Trump was, or if they did, they loved him. They didn't know what Christian nationalism was. You know, none of them really know any an iota of Christian theology. And, of course, the, the patriarchy is a, is a construct. So why do you think that the left specifically so very much hates the founding of America and America itself? I want to hold that. I want to ask that question at the end, but I want to put that in your mind right now. And if you're, if you're, if you're online, put it in the comment section, whether you're on YouTube, Rumble, by the way, like, comment, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. Thank you guys for over 200,000 downloads and counting on the audio where anywhere you can find it on audio. And of course, YouTube and Rumble. Thank you guys. So why do they hate the founding of America? Why do they hate America at its core? Well, I think it's really important to go to the founding and to the core of where it all came from. Uh, but before we do, I want to look at some of the hate. So, Mr. Producer, can you bring up that Twitter? It's going to be the Twitter uh, excerpt from the White House. And I'm, we're going to compare the two. So we're going to compare. I want you to make sure the audio is on so we can hear it. So this is the comparing Trump's White House with Biden's White House. And so I want to see what that looks like. You can do the whole screen uh, if it makes it easier. Yeah. And go ahead and pull that up. Let's play it. All the way down. There we go. Okay. Actually, go ahead and mute it. So radically different you're seeing one is reverencing you know there's a manger scene and there's a reverence for the history and traditions by the way i'm going to make it with the trumps i think it was the history and traditions and not as much christianity itself noted noted but then you see flagrant flagrant disregard for the morality why do we see it coming out this bald face? It wasn't that way. You know, off, off air, Mr. Charlie, you said Biden has done more to harm this nation than any of the other presidents combined. And you and I kind of had a tussle over that before we started. Yep. Why would you say that Biden has done more to harm this nation than any other he is, president? He has used, um, well, he's used the executive pen, really. And, and you brought up some good points in, in refuting uh, some of what I was saying, but the bottom line is, is that he has used a lot of executive orders to push through um, a number of different things that are totally anti-God. Um, I will say, I was, I was stunned, quite honestly, and I mean absolutely stunned that he stood up for Israel the way that he has. Now, it does comport to his history. 
but because of the people that are surrounding him, I did not expect that. But here's where I ultimately want to go with that. When you look at people like LBJ, when you look at people, uh, any of the Democratic presidents beforehand, even Obama, even, Obama used a lot of executive orders. But in terms of destroying personal rights and rights of Christians, um, of, of the church, Biden by far has done more to destroy those things than all the previous presidents combined. So I, I want to focus less on on the executive orders, which, of course, are unconstitutional the way they do it. And, and you know, we could get very wonkish about that. I don't want to do that. But the, where I want to drill down tonight is, is why? Why do we see that trend against the moral values of Christianity? And, and my pushback for those who weren't in that conversation, the people in this room, everyone else, uh, this is your first time hearing it, is you can't blame the bottom of the mountain for the size of the snowball that was rolled from the top. Yep. It took, Biden could not have done what he did without Barack Obama being there. He couldn't have done without Bush, without both Bushes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, both Bushes. He couldn't have done what he did without Jimmy Carter, without LBJ, without FDR. Keep going back, okay? And uh, even John Adams made some mistakes in some of his policy. By the way, there was a tussle between states' rights and the Federalist rights, right? So, so the Federalist Party was saying they're anti-large government. John Adams was pro-large government. So even someone, a godly man, an intentional, godly, wise man that we're going to quote tonight as a very godly influence on our founding, he had one or two things wrong from a policy standpoint, and it, it's trickled down ever since. So all that to say, it all comes down to why are they so vehemently against the founding, the Christian founding? You always hear America was founded as a secular nation. Who in here has heard that? Right. I've, uh, it, it's been, uh, let me word it like this. I did not hear that until the last 30, 40 years. Right. Correct. Miss yeah. Nikki, from the chair of theology, why do you think it is so imperative for the people, and, and I, I'm not going to talk about right or left, I'm talking about right and wrong here. Those who wish to have a different morality set up, why is it so important to destroy the Christian nation? Well, because the foundation of any country must be destroyed to change the, the government or, or the, um, the culture that has to be changed. History has to be changed or destroyed. So when a country goes in to take over another country, what do they do? Do you remember they go in, destroy the museums, destroy history, destroy uh, so that the people have nothing to look back on. That's what happened with Israel when the Romans came in and they destroyed the temple. And then they chased him out of the land. I think another great example, I think that's an excellent point. And I think another great example, a lot of people don't realize this about um, the Nazi movement. What did they do? It was total thievery of, of history and art. And the goal was to destroy it. So I want to go ahead and get to the next clip. And then I want to get Josh's reaction to this clip. So this is from a documentary done by uh, a historian by the name of uh, David Barton. I believe that's the right clip. You're going to have to verify it for me there in order, Mr. Producer. Uh, 
David Barton goes through history, and we're starting at 2820. By the way, link in the description below, as always, guys, uh, to the full, full thing. I recommend that you watch his series. He goes through all of the letters of the original of the founders and of people in the 1600s, the 1800s and shows he, he, he does have an agenda. His agenda is to say that, look, America is founded on godly principles and here are the people, here's what they said at the Continental Congress. Here's this, what they this said. Action, this here, this YouTube video is basically a course in early American history that you should be getting every school within a, a high school classroom. So go ahead, without further ado, let's play that one clip, please, Mr. Producer. Again, by asking the crowd a simple question. Why is it that next to the birthday of the Savior of the world, your most joyous and most venerated festival returns on this day, Pause. on the 4th of July? So, by the way, this is John Quincy Adams speaking as to the importance of the 4th of July and Christmas and why these two are important. So just we're jumping in the video because we don't have time to watch an hour and a half long documentary here. Keep playing, Mr. Producer. An interesting question. Why is it that the 4th of July and Christmas were America's top two holidays? John Quincy Adams answered that question. Is it not that in the chain of human events, the birthday of the nation is indissolubly linked with the birthday of the Savior? That it forms a leading event in the progress of the gospel dispensation? Is it not that the Declaration of Independence first organized the social compact on the foundation of the Redeemer's mission upon earth, that it laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity? According to John Quincy Adams, on the 4th of July, 1776, the Founding Fathers had taken the principles that came into the world through the birth of Christ and used those principles to birth the nation, thus joining together Christian principles and civil government in what he called an indissoluble bond. Today, however, we're told just the opposite. We're told that the founders didn't want an indissoluble bond, but that instead they wanted a so-called separation, that they wanted biblical principles kept out of civil government. But that's not what Adams said, and he was an eyewitness to the American Revolution and served during the American founding. He knew what he'd seen and what he and the other founders had done. And other founders were equally outspoken about the importance of maintaining Christian principles in, not out, of the civil arena. Consider, for example, John Jay. John Jay served in Independence Hall as the president of the Continental Congress in 1778. He was also one of three founding fathers who drafted and signed the peace treaty with Great Britain to end the American Revolution and establish America time, as an independent nation. Once the U.S. Constitution the was written, Jay was an author of the Federalist Papers. He's considered one of the three men most responsible for the adoption of the Constitution. And when George Washington became president, Jay served first as his first secretary of state and then was appointed as the original chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. In fact, when the federal Congress sat here in Philadelphia before moving to its permanent home in Washington, D.C., John Jay was chief justice of the Supreme Court when it met in this room inside Old City Hall, the building located next door to Independence Hall. For almost a decade, this was a home of the U.S. Supreme Court. It was in this very room that John Jay presided over the early United States Supreme Court. Chief Justice John Jay clearly believed that Christian principles should be included in the civil arena. In fact, here is a newspaper from 1792 documenting the fact that ministers came into the courtroom and opened the court with prayer 
and prayed over juries before they went out to consider the legal issues placed before them by John Jay or other of the justices. In fact, on this particular day, the Reverend Dr. Parker offered the prayer, and Vice President John Adams was in attendance. Present okay. for that day's prayer. Go ahead and pause and- it. So, thank you. All of that goes on, and he goes on to say that actually, John Adams, whenever we were talking about prayers that were being held in Congress, they literally described it as holding a Bible society. Josh, why do you think it is so important to, I mean, first off, had you ever heard some of those letters written and some are are read and do you get that education in school? Why is it so important that you don't? So to answer that question, and if it's okay, I would like to go, please do go into a couple places. So to answer that question, I had not heard those specific letters or those specific prayers that they, he had mentioned in the video. And I didn't learn that in school, but I didn't learn necessarily that school was, that the founding was secular, but I also didn't learn that the founding was Christian. It was more of a just Broad. Neutered, neutered way of just explaining it in a very fact of matter type of way. But in terms of the importance of that, I think there's a couple of ways you can see this. Firstly, you actually see that there's physical evidence to suggest that the founding of the country was based upon Christian principles. But also, I would say, and what has, because right now we're sitting in the 21st century and we're pushing for progressive, or a lot of people are pushing for progressive policies and they're claiming them to be new ideas. Why are they new ideas if the founding of the country was secular? Hmm. How are they new ideas if the founding of the country is secular? Because wouldn't that have been what the founding of the country was? It was not something that was based upon Christian principles. It was based upon secular ideas or just a very, like I said, neutral idea. Then why are we pushing against these things? To me, that would seem to say that historically and from what it's always been accepted as, um, even if it wasn't necessarily, even if they, let's say we suppose, like we just give it to them, like even in the 1700s, but in the 1800s and the 1900s, if it, like that's the way it was, that it was based upon those principles. Now, I want to go back to when I said the, the myth, the myth, uh, the country is great. It's the best country out there, but the founding of the country, it foundationally, it's an amazing thing. Foundationally, it's a great thing. But there are certainly flaws in founding, and it is espoused by the people more specifically, and I would say the actual documentation of it. Uh, and I think like you have this very big stain with slavery, chattel slavery, just because it wasn't, it was. It's a big part. It was a big part of our country. It's a big fight of what, what like the Civil War was fought over uh, this issue. And so it's a, it is something that we have to acknowledge definitely existed, but I wouldn't say that it, and the thing is, I wouldn't say it's a new thing that was happening. I wouldn't say that slavery was an issue that was just purely American. I think that was a worldwide issue, obviously, because there's such a thing as a transatlantic slave trade, which by the way, Christians were fighting against. I was just going to say, Josh, I love that right there. Excuse me. So the, 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 
if, if I may, and then I want you yep. to jump on top. Yep. Because I actually want to speak specifically to the letter that Benjamin Franklin read from the Quakers in uh, the 1791 Congress, I believe. And specifically, we, we've actually... I wish we still had the collateral on the on the uh, uh, the switcher. We don't, but we actually had a, we read it out one one time. Benjamin Franklin brought in the petition from the Quakers to abolish slavery, and it almost broke the Congress right then and there. So yes, the United States of America was founded with some horrible warts. Okay. But it what it was founded, the people who did all of the writing. Yes, Jefferson and Washington owned slaves. Guess what? They were in a very awkward position. And you might say, before you turn off and you haul off, do me a favor, get rid of your iPhone, get rid of your Tesla, get rid of your uh, laptop computer, get rid of your clothes that you're wearing, because all of those were made in sweatshops, artisanal mining fields, where millions of people die every decade just so that you can have an iPhone in your pocket. And it's modern day slavery. It's bigger. It's worse than it ever has been before. And America is the only country that has any traction in stopping that. And it's not because America's great. It's because God is great. And it's at the foundation. I'm going to challenge you that. The, the reason the founding fathers built this country, laid down the foundation with biblical principles. It was the biblical principles that exposed the failure of men. A man cannot enslave another man and still stand on the word of God. How is that a that, challenge? Well, because the word brings conviction and what we're in that it may take a while. And it did. George Washington was a great, a great man, but he was in a culture where slavery was accepted and he, he, in his flawed human body and mind, he had slaves. My understanding is he freed them when he, it's, I'm not, I'm complex. not going to make an excuse. Slavery is wrong, but it's existed worldwide Correct. by every country, by every nation. So I want to go to Mr. Charlie real quick, but before I do, I want to ask, how is that a challenge? Because America was founded with the allowance of slavery. Well, how do you say that you have inalienable rights because they and then wanted, enslave they another? Wanted, they wanted it. They wanted it to free the slaves within the next two decades, and they were hoping, and that's what they hoped against hope. And the, they died. Washington died, was it the 30s or the 50s of uh, the 1800s? But him and Franklin were bemoaning, and I, think, and I don't remember if it was Jefferson, there were multiple of those men who to the very day, day of their death, they were part of the abolitionist movement and they bemoaned the fact that they didn't stand their ground in 1792. So well, I, am, I am with you. I am 100% with you. William Wilberforce in England single-handedly pushed forth the, the abolition of slavery. And he did it through poor health toward the end of his life he they passed it and i'm trying to remember he died very very soon after that legislation Correct. passed in england so christians <clears throat> christians know where to stand on this issue and i i really like some of the things that have been said here 
I think the most important thing for people to really grab a hold of for this podcast, yes, we believe America is great and has been great. She has had her flaws. But the seed was planted early. Absolutely was. The seed was planted, to Miss Nikki's point, the seed was planted early, and that seed is the love of Jesus Christ and the understanding of his sovereignty. That's the only reason it became that. Mr. Steve, you wanted to say something, and then I want to get to the next segment. Yeah. um, You know, I believe that, you know, we were a much greater country than say what we are now because of a lot of the democratic problems that we got and progressive things that have been implemented. If we're going to get to those. Let's, but, let's, let's get to those. But, you know, and it's obvious by all of the people that want to come here. You yes. don't see everybody from all over the world flocking to go to other countries. Everybody's flocking to come here. And why is that? Yep. Man, those, I mean, those, think that's about a great that. point right there. There's but the thing is, I'd, I'd just like to say one right. thing in, in, on what Josh says on the Civil War. It wasn't all about slavery. It was also about economics. Sure. Also, and a big part was about economics. And byproduct of that was also getting rid of slavery yep. in order to deal with all the economic problems. So all that to say, we, we fought a civil war to get rid of that one wart. So now that we have that, that war out of the way, which, by the way, would not have cleared if it wasn't for the Judeo-Christian founding, I want to go back to, the, to kind of the, the, the thread of the podcast is how did we lose our way from a country that, although poorly planted in rocky fallow ground, she grew up and eventually straightened because of a solid seed the 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 seed that was that was planted grew and eventually overcame the terrible terrible soil the time in which it was born in and so you're going to see a lot of people come and say that and we've covered this before that uh Thomas Jefferson was a fan of separation of church and state how many of y'all by, by show of hands in here is separation of church and state it, put your hand down i want you to raise your hand is church separation of church and state? You told me to raise my hand in a moment. Oh, is oh, 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 okay, church okay. Separ- oh my gosh! <laughs> Those an audio are wondering what's happening here. Okay. Do you know? Yes or no? Is separation of church and state in the First Amendment? Yes. If it is, no. Hand down. If it isn't, no. It's not. It came from. Does anyone remember which letter it, it, it came from? Danbury. Thomas Jefferson's letter to the Danbury Baptists in Connecticut. Now, it's very important that you remember who Thomas Jefferson was. They say he was an atheist, or, or at least just a deist, and that he ripped out, by the way, which he ripped out the pages of, of the miracles of Jesus in the Bible. Which Jeffersonian Bible are you talking about? Are you talking about the first one, that he took the miracles out so we could evangelize the Indians, and he hired ministers? ministers to go out and to train Indians and start a school so there'd be more knowledge, not for the sake of conquering, but for the sake of evangelism. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
So, okay. Or, or, or are you talking about the one that he had of all of the specific words of Jesus that he had by his bedside? Because he had two Jeffersonian Bibles, the one that he had by his bedside because it was his daily reading of devotions. Which, which Jeffersonian Bible are you talking about? Also, Thomas Jefferson defended the Danbury Baptists against the Anglican Church Oops. of Great Britain. Oops. Because they were coming after the, the Presbyterians, the Baptists, etc., all of the other Protestants and Catholics. And so he had spent his career defending these people. So that's where the, that's where the letter comes, becomes very important. So I'm going to go ahead and read this real quick. From, this is from uh, Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptists when they're asking, is the federal system going to come for us? Okay. So Jefferson wrote, believing with you that religion is a matter which solely lies between man and his God, that he owes account to none other for his faith or his worship, that the legitimate powers of government reach actions only and not opinions. I contemplate with sovereign reverence that the act of the whole American people, which declared their legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That is the eight word quote. We'll finish the context. That's why it's very important to read the context. Thus building a wall of separation between church and state, adhering to this expression of the supreme will of the nation in behalf of the rights of the conscientious. I shall see this with sincere satisfaction to the progress of those sentiments, which tend to restore man to all his natural rights, convinced that he has no natural right in opposition to his social duties. All of that is a very, very well-educated, very well-spoken, I wish we spoke that well today, way of saying, no, the federal government will not mandate a church. Your state-run churches are going to be left alone. The 13 colonies had what? State-run churches. Not federally-run churches, but state-level-run churches. If you didn't like that church... Not only could you start one locally, but you could go to a state where it was instituted and it was financially supported by the Commonwealth. Mm. So where in that context does separation of church and state mean that you cannot pray in school? Let's talk about it. We're going to go ahead and listen to the next clip. As we go further every day. As we go further every day. Yeah, very good. <laughs> Mr. Steve on point with the joke, with the meme of the name. Originally, this was going to be a meme channel. And we're going to do, next episode, we will do a meme episode. So we'll have some fun with that. But Mr. Producer, if you could go ahead and play uh, that clip from 42 to 4310, please. Are exactly the opposite, but few today realize that earlier courts, courts whose justices were appointed by founding fathers, have already ruled on the same issues. There are literally dozens of such rulings, including one by the 1811 New York Supreme Court, a ruling subsequently cited by the U.S. Supreme Court as an authority for its own decisions. That New York case dealt with a man who had distributed a writing full of vulgar, malicious, and gratuitous profanity attacking God, Jesus Christ, and the Bible. He was fined and punished, and on appeal, the state Supreme Court upheld the conviction, stressing, Whatever strikes at the root of Christianity tends manifestly to the dissolution of civil government. Pause. According to the court. And okay, so we're not there yet in, in the history that he's laying out, but what does that sound like? We're going to keep going on that clip in just a moment. So 
up all, all the way to the end that, that we had, unless it is at the end, you tell me. Okay. We're going to go in just a moment. But what does that say about the tenor of the 1800 Supreme Court towards Christianity? Well, they, they believe that the country was founded on Christian principles, and we're not going to let somebody go out there and challenge that, is what I see it as. Anything. However, go ahead. let me, let me go just ahead. say this. There is freedom of speech, and he, he was not free to have freedom of speech. Well, so here's the difference. You're not allowed to maliciously attack the morality that the United States was founded upon. So when we talk about freedom of speech, we have all shifted our views. And, and by the way, you actually go back to the old court decision. And, and I don't know if you agree with this or not, Josh, but I want to kind of throw this at you because I actually, I found this insightful and, and interesting because it challenged my very libertarian style view of, of, of free speech you could not publish liable or slander. You couldn't lie about someone. You couldn't say, you could even tell the truth about someone. If someone had, and there were court decisions in Washington's day, people that Washington put on the Supreme Court said, you may not publish personal details about someone's life in the newspaper unless they're running for office or unless they are claiming uh, that they are a minister or that for some reason it serves the public's good to talk about this person having a drinking problem or being in a divorce. That was the level of free speech in the day. How does that sit with you as a uh, 2023 individual does that clash with your view of what free speech is coming from this century what, or and what do you think about that well i'll be honest with you i i i'm i'm gonna sound so crazy here i care about what the law is in america because but but i will say this i care more about god's law i care more about what the bible has to say than i care about what the constitution has to say and I don't think that should be an egregious statement. I think that should just be a fact, a, a way that we think, right, as Christians. And there are, we have the ability to say anything. That's something that we've been given by God. We've been given the ability to say anything. But should you say anything, knowing what the consequences are? Should you be saying these things? Should these things be made known? And I think things, certain things should be made known. I think when you look at it in... For example, you go to Deuteronomy 21. What happens to a disobedient child? Aren't they brought out to everybody to say that this children, this child is a disobedient child? To, certain, to a certain um But you had to answer for that, and you also were doing that for the sake of putting them to death. Yeah, and the, and so, the thing... Point, it was a grievous yeah, and, type of... But the point being that when matters were serious or there was something that had to be brought to light because it was so serious in nature, it was brought to light. But that's what we're saying. Oh, but, no, that's but, what I'm saying, too. And, and, that's what, and that's what the founding fathers believed, too. They believed that if there was a reason for the public interest to know, if there was a reason, if it was going to harm someone to withhold that truth, then fine. But if you were harming someone... By going into their public life and speaking, that's a whole different You're view. talking about gossip. Correct. And, and that's where it goes down to. Where they got that principle is from the issue of 
God's prohibition against backbiting. Mm-hmm. And they did not want backbiting in the public square. It all goes down to if you read the decisions and you go down far enough, it actually comes from scripture. And it's a whole new view on what freedom of speech is. So I just want to say that they took that seriously from the Bible. And if you go in and you look at how court decisions were handed out, they actually went, the, the, the Supreme Court actually ruled, and, and a lot of local courts, a lot of circuit courts ruled, we cannot adjudicate on marriage because the state has done nothing with a covenant relationship. Because that covenant relationship is between the man and the woman and God. And here are some court-mandated Bible readings to the couple. Man, men, die for your wives. Women, submit to your husbands. Those were the verses that were handed out by the court when divorces were sought that were unreasonable. They had a whole different view on public life than we do now. I think, John Arthur, you brought up a a phrase a moment ago that I think speaks to the core of where we're at today. When I was coaching high school basketball, sometimes we would break down from our practices and we'd go all for one, one for all, one, two, three, and we'd break down. Think about that, all for one, one for all. That's what it was in the early founding. It was, it was about what was best for the nation. Today, it's what's best for the group or person. It has to do with this issue of morals. It, it has to do with the issue of, of, being, of doing that which allows a, a, a nation to move forward. I want to define morals for a moment, if I could. A person's standards of behavior or beliefs concerning what is and is not acceptable for them to do. Now, you just named some, and those were really good ones. Let's talk about today, where we are currently. We're talking about DAs that are allowing murderers to roam free. They, they very easily bail out, and they can go about and do whatever they want. Why is that not good for society? Because it shows that you have a disregard for prosecuting that which is wrong. That is not going to be for the betterment of a country. You know, that's a really good segue into the next clip, yeah, actually. Like, like thievery. Going on in in um, California, if you're not stealing over nine hundred dollars, oh man, they'll man, let you go they, with it. They're not, they're not coming, and they're, they're coming you, after you. They'll you let know, you get you away with it. Ten, fifteen, twenty people in there stealing nine hundred dollars. Man, how much is that? You a, a, a store just lost. So, man, where this comes from, and we're going to look at this clip here about the history of how we got here, is from a nation that's turned its face from instead of. of the quotes that are the citations that were used in the Continental Congresses that formed our Constitution were direct out of Scripture. I believe it was four, four and a half, three and a half or four and a half percent were from Blackstone's Law, by the way. Huge, huge proponent of the Bible. 
largely quoted, quoted the Bible and common law, which, oh, by the way, guess what? Surprise, surprise, was based on the Bible from British common law. And then you go even further. The number two, number three, I believe, a cited source was John Locke, the Enlightenment thinker who said, yep. you know what? Man derives his value from God and all government should all government's focus should be on God. So let's see what happens when a nation forgets that. That excluding religious principles from education and students would result in a loss of morality. Statistics now confirm the accuracy of his warning. George Washington's Consider warning. the category of pregnancies for unwed teenage girls. For decades prior to 1962-63, birth rates for unwed teen girls had remained relatively stable. But with the court's exclusion of religious principles from students, birth rates for unwed teenage girls immediately skyrocketed by 400%. Similarly, birth rates for junior high girls had also been low. But following the court's removal of religious principles, pregnancies for girls ages 10 through 14 shot up by 460%. Wow. America now has the highest teen pregnancy rate of any nation in the industrialized world. Think about Sexually that. Sexually transmitted diseases among students also reached previously unrecorded highs. Notice how low the rates had been. Pause. Notice the point where religious principles were removed. Does anyone remember in here what happened in 1961? He already said it. We did what? Remove prayer. Remove prayer. We removed the, the Ten Commandments. Commandments. You have failed this city. They did. Keep going. Moved. And look at the dramatic increase that followed. Strikingly, moral measurements for students broke violently in the wrong direction following the court's 1962-63 policy of enforced secularism. This is a strong correlation. Perhaps it's merely coincidental, but it certainly is clear and striking. Consider the next category in which public policy long maintained the use of biblical principles. The category of our parents, that is, our families. What happened with the exclusion of biblical principles? Consider the area of marital stability. According to federal statistics, the divorce rate had been steadily declining for years and even decades prior to 1962-63. But then notice what happened. Religious principles were excluded from public policy and the divorce rate skyrocketed. Suddenly, the United States found itself number one in the world in the divorce rate. Similarly, the number of single-parent families also exploded, reaching almost triple its previous level, and unmarried couples living together increased tenfold, soaring by over 1,000%. In fact, having now excluded biblical principles, some American policymakers even became confused about how to define something as simple as marriage. Was it to remain the union of a man and a woman, or should it become that of a man and a man, or a woman and a woman, or five men and a woman, or vice versa? Or is it perhaps an older man and an adolescent girl, or any of the other possible I combinations? I want your thoughts in a moment, Miss Nikki. What remarkable changes have occurred since biblical values were excluded from public policies on the family? The third category over which God's assistance had been petitioned in that unconstitutional prayer was our teachers, that is, our schools. What happened when God and biblical principles were barred from our schools? One excellent indicator is the SAT test, the Scholastic Aptitude Test, an academic test for college-bound high school students that has been used in America since 1926. Prior okay. to 1962-63, SAT scores bounced around the same general level and had been stable for decades. But following the removal of God from education, scores plummeted year 
after year after year after year. Other school-related statistics showed similar adverse changes. Consider finally the fourth category, that of our country or the nation. Just from a common sense perspective, what do you think will happen when a policy is adopted that says, yeah, that's good. So by the way, watch the whole clip from David Barton. He goes into, by the way, the violent nature of the post-1961 decision to remove prayer from schools. If you're wondering what the prayer was, go watch the whole video, if, if you will. But if you can't, I'll just say this. It was a silent prayer, think, praying for the students, the parents, the teachers in the nation. And what you immediately saw was when they cut that off, education went down, violence went up, pregnancy went up, and you saw the nation slowly evaporate and deteriorate. And they got there. They got there. Miss Nikki and I were talking about this before. By in 1947, what did they decide? Um, that, sorry, separation of church and state. They took that. That took that framing of separation of church and state. By the way, watch the whole thing. David Barton. There's goes no such into, thing in the Constitution that says separation of church and state. But they take the one letter, that Danbury letter, and that's why we had to mention it. And they said, oh, separation of church and state, there's an impenetrable wall between God and man. So we take it from the Supreme Court's understanding, by the way, people who were alive at the founding of the nation, people who knew George Washington were around alive, walking and talking, and they were around for the Supreme Court's ruling of, wait a minute, anything that attacks Christianity is antithetical and antisocial to separation of church and state in 1947. And then what happened? In 1948, when Israel became a nation. Okay. And I I don't believe, I mean, I'm looking at this from a a biblical perspective. I don't believe that was a, I believe that's by design. Yeah. So, and just real quick, the link that you're making there is that we're making way for what? Well, we're making way for prophecy to be fulfilled from revelation is what we are. Uh, The fact that Israel even became a nation should prove that the Bible is true. If you understood all that goes into that, that's a miracle in itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Mr. Steve, actually, I want to get your thoughts on this because we haven't gotten too much of you talking tonight. Politically, you see what happens when we cut God out. But the problem is, who gave us government and why? God. God gave us government. It it shows, it, it well, states it in the Bible. Um and not only that, he gave it that so that we were capable of taking care of each other and being able to have rules over each other because man is bad inherently. They just are. We're sinful people. We're not capable of just having just like no law because if it's that way we ju- it will destroy ourselves right. is what it will happen and it's better to have government so that you can set a standard of rules and it's, you know it, you can't legislate morality oh yeah it, you it, can but go ahead but <laughs> Well, every Christianity you can in a in a Christian sense. No, you're good. I know but, what you're getting at, but, but every every law is some is a reflection of someone's morality. Morality, yes. 
but you can't change how many the hearts. people you can't how many people abide by it you can't change the like, hearts um, but you can make just uh, laws is what right. you're meaning to say That's what i'm saying uh, the majority of people are not criminals but you have a large amount of people who are criminals in every whether heart. it's petty crime whether it's uh felony offenses or misdemeanors and every heart you know, is is desperately wicked and right. that's why we need a government that is limited in scope and power but it's founded on the idea of you have to be a moral person and the way when they said moral it's not just an american moralism how many people in this room have driven over the speed limit don't tell me nobody has two hands, ever two hands. driven over the speed limit. Speed limits are unconstitutional, but that's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Steve's giving me the look like, help me out, man. You're killing me. I told you I was going to be a political mortician here. But, but you're not you know, wrong. But back to the moral you know thing. what I'm saying. Yes. It's it's, it's, a, it's it's a moral it's, issue. It's a moral issue to drive under the, to drive at the speed limit or under for what reason? For the safety of the public. That's why these things are institutionalized. And you have to have what a government who collectively come together so that you can create these to have people to drive a speed limit. Otherwise, what are you going to have? People driving down down the highway, driving whatever speed, creating mass chaos, driving down the highway. Because there's some people that can drive fast, being safe, and that, but most people can't. I mean, they just can't, man. So the analogy <laughs> aside, the point is well made. The, the point is well made is that there's a reason why we have we have these laws and they come from the value of, of the individual human life and not the value of the collective. And that's the thing that, that really has set America apart is that it institutionalizes the God recognized rights. So I want to ask the question again, going around from each chair, I want you to put it in to your chair. And if you want to go outside, please do feel free to, but miss Nikki, why is it so important? to discredit and destroy that history. I asked you at the beginning and you gave me an answer, but final thoughts for the night, because I know that we got to wrap up. Why is it so important that they destroy the Christian heritage and foundation of this nation? And what should we be about when it comes to the, to the nation, not defending the nation necessarily, but so much as defending the underpinning reality the the new ideology that leans left or progressive cannot survive with a a christian foundation the principles that were laid under a christian foundation you you can't survive with what you want to do in a progressive or left-leaning political system if you have to revert back to the original biblical principles, it's going to destroy how you want to go forward. And by the way, that's why we should be really careful who we allow into our tent. Mm. We, as conservatives, as Republicans, let me rephrase that term, as Republicans, 
America has uh, the Repu- American Republican Party has allowed a lot of people into the tent and said, Ahab, you are my brother. Come join me against the king of Assyria. Well, right. And, and I know my time here is short, but I do want to say <laughs> there's a lot of biblical principles that were laid down that Americans really like, like um, can't be lied to lying, stealing, cheating, um, innocent until proven guilty, convicted by uh, um, a jury or tried by a jury of your peers. These are all biblical principles and you like them because they protect you. So I don't think I want to shake everything off. And I don't think the majority of people want to shake everything off when they actually dig deeper and find out why we have the laws that we have. Yes. And again, it's important to remember these are God ordained and the government doesn't give it recognizes it's a big difference josh excuse me final thoughts for the night from the perspective of why is it so important philosophically we talked about theologically somewhat but i i I think you can dig pretty uh, pretty deep in this there's there's a lot of thought behind the attack of the enemy on the christian founding of america yeah you're in, but you can also, with your philosophy, your philosophy can be rooted in biblical theology. And so, oh, yeah. And so, it needs to be. And that's what we're, and that's what we strive for on the podcast. So, I think there's a many different things I wanted to point out with the numbers he said with removing religion out of school. There's something else that happened at that time, though. It's not talked about enough. You come out of World War II in the 40s, and then you have the big baby boomers movement. I don't think people realize just how drastically the world population changed after 1940. If you look at world population numbers, per, like not pre 1940 and the, the, the rate of growth. And then you look at population numbers post 19, like 50. It's insane. How many people came into the world post 1950? Like I'm talking like a humongous increase, like mm-hmm. a, an increase that you will never see. Ever like you probably won't see an increase like that ever again. It's so unique. But pe- point being this: in America, we are a unique country, a very unique country, in the sense that in other countries, the government has a lot of pull. The government has a lot of control, and people rely upon the government or their decision-making. But in America, we are a democracy. Democratic Republic. Republic. Democratic Republic. A democratic Republic. And this is unique in the fact that the people get to have a say on who the rulers are going to be, on who the people who are going to govern them are going to be. And so I really don't want to push blame away from the people, the, the common people, for why we're in this mess uh, because sure. the reason why is not just because the leaders because those leaders got elected right those leaders didn't just end up there magically those leaders were put there and if the leaders are being put there then i think that needs to pose a different question to us as individuals e- everyone who's listening needs to ask themselves this question where do i stand and examine yourself in every aspect of your life and ask if you're a Christian, ask the question, where am I falling short? Is there a place where I'm allowing sin to enter into my life? And is it going to affect the way that I 
maneuver? Is it going to affect my philosophy? Is it going to affect my politics? Is it going to affect my economics? Is it going to affect my theology? And you really got to tackle that question. Because I think what you also see post-1950 is since you have this massive influx of people, you had a humongous push, a humongous push by the seminaries in America, by the seminaries in America, and by the, uh, the commissions in America to evangelize the great influx of people which was a beautiful thing. We needed to evangelize. There was a whole lot of new people that we needed to, that needed to hear the word of God. And so we made a ginormous push to go and get the word of God to as many people as possible. And that's why we have people like Billy Graham. That's why we had people like, uh, you name whoever, W.A. Criswell. I, I'll say John Piper, John MacArthur, people like this. Uh, mind you, there's other people specifically around that time. I can't recall names, but... Still, point being, there were people who were evangelizing at that time, but there's something that happened, and we did a fun, we funnily enough did a skit about this, and it's true. The people who were being evangelized, they never got checked up on. Nobody followed up with those people really. Now there were probably people who did get followed up with. I don't want to dismiss that, but since you have this massive amount of people, uh, logistically it provides a challenge to try and follow up with that many people, especially when you're a guy like Billy Graham and you're going to another city just after this one. And then you leave and and then you got, it's like, yeah, there's probably a lot of people who did come to the Lord, but how solid are they in their foundation? They're just children now. They, they're looking for food. Uh, mind you, at that time they're drinking milk, but they but we want food, right? That's what I think Paul says is, is in, first, or in 1 Corinthians 2 is that, you know, I, I'm kind of sad that you guys are still on this milk stuff. I want you guys to get better food. So the Lord is telling us in the Bible that he wants us to grow. But what did not happen at that time period was there was no growth. And because of that lack of growth, people either did one of two things. And I'll simplify it like this. People either fell away from the faith completely and cut it off because they saw the inconsistent, they saw the inconsistency of the people who led them to that point or they just stayed in their current state being thrown away, been thrown away to any type of wind, any type of wave and just going along with it and not really asking the critical questions that you have to ask in order to develop a proper biblical worldview Because developing a proper biblical worldview is about asking those deep questions. It's about asking those important uh, questions about how you filter everything in life. And it's done through careful Bible study. And and that's not what you saw. And so what happens? Well, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. And so we have people, we have people who vote for people who support abortion. We have people who vote for people who are okay with no default divorce. Uh, we vote for people who are okay with taking prayer out of the schools. Uh, we, we vote for people who are okay, who are okay with keeping people in a constant state of welfare. And I think the bigger question, I really think the biggest problem is not necessarily in today's culture. I'll speak for today. 
in today's culture is not the leaders. The leaders are not the problem. We are the problem. We are the exact problems because, and the thing is, what we're trying to do through this podcast is that we're trying to be the solution to the problem. We're trying to pre- equip you with the answers. We're trying to disciple you guys who are through the airways. And we want to help answer those tough questions that you're receiving. And we want to do it logically, factually, and biblically. But the thing being this, we can't, we, we can't just say, look at the leaders and say, it's the leader's fault. That would be... I love my Catholic listeners out there. I love you guys. But that would be very Catholic of us. That would be like, we say, the priest has this. We don't, we, therefore, I'm going to do what I can do. And then I'm going to go to the priest at the end of the week and ask for forgiveness. No, that's not how it works. We're not going to, we're not going to be about that. We're going to be about taking a full responsibility, taking accountability and reflecting. And so what, and what well stated where I think we went wrong if you want to go that far back is into the severe lack of discipleship in the 1860s, 1850s, 1860s. Because when we got to the 1961 court decision to remove prayer from school, it voluntary prayer, prayer in your mind was outlawed. I believe in 1980, someone voted the president that appointed those Supreme court justices. Someone voted in those senators who wanted to write those laws and those congressmen and women who wanted to write those laws. So it does come back to the church. And I'm going to have to interject here please do. real quick, because if you study the Old Testament, when Israel prospered, Israel forgot God. So if you start looking at the economy starting in the 50s, American culture changed and prosperity came in in a whole different way. Correct. And you had, you had something about the greatest generation who were raised by the way, in a, by very debaucherous parents, the, the flappers from the 1920s raised the greatest generation. Right. So after intense, intense poverty in the 1900, 1900s and 1910s, we had a world war. And then we had the flappers of the 1920s, drunkenness, riotousness. Then we had the failure of the nation in the 1930s, the quote-unquote greatest generation who fought World War II. They were raised in poverty. And what did they not do? They didn't disciple their kids. And we largely see that in the boomer generation. Those boomers here notwithstanding, a lot of those boomers raised some very, very, very stupid people. And people who... You shouldn't hold someone in disdain for not knowing something that they were never offered the opportunity to learn, but you can hold them accountable for their actions. And so the church widely is responsible for that. And I absolutely agree. So, and, and what we're doing here is not trying to curse the darkness, but rather we're trying to wake the light so that it would shine brighter. That's what we've said here on this, on this program many times. Do not stop, stop cursing the darkness for being dark. You need to shine brighter. You need to encourage every other flame that is on this earth, the flame of the gospel, to shine brighter. And what does that mean? That doesn't mean go to work quietly and, and just be a good little Christian and hope that someone notices you. Yes, do that. But you need to do a little bit. You need to be open. You need to be about discipling. You need to be about growing other people. You need to be about spiritual reproduction. It's not just physical. It's spiritually being fruitful and multiplying. 
Absolutely agree, Josh. Moving over to Mr. Charlie. So I'm going to back up on just what you said there. Congratulations, local New Testament church. You're the one that failed. You are. This this wasn't an issue of worldly people. And we, I'll say this, I, I regret that I have not done more to be involved politically. Folks, when you go to the voting booth, you should not be going just to, well, that name looks pretty good. And a lot of you are doing that. Shame on you. Shame on you. LGBTQ community, and I'm not going to say that everybody does this in your community. You're out there and you're marching for Hamas. This goes to the very heart of what we're talking about tonight. You're so against America, you are so against Israel, that you're willing to march for a group like Hamas, and you don't even understand that you're not invited on their team. They would, they would kill you in a heartbeat because of your lifestyle. In a heartbeat. Give you the and you think that test. you're standing on something great. You're a fool. You don't even know what you believe. Shame on you. I'm being strong, but you know, we've gotten to this place in this country because we do not take personal responsibility to do that, which helps everybody in America, not just you and not just me, everybody. The reason that we've got where we are and why it's so despised, the biblical principles, because we do not want to be subject to an authority like God. We want that destroyed because I want to live the way that I want to live without any pretense of being wrong. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Book of Proverbs. Indeed. And the culture the American culture has a lot to answer for, but that's what happens when it comes out from underneath the umbrella of God. Mr. Steve, final thoughts? Yeah. Um, you know, I remember when I was in high school, mid seventies, um, you know, we still had prayer, still said the national anthem, um, in high school opening morning, Right when school started, we had a prayer, sang national anthem, you know, pledged allegiance to the flag. I remember doing that even as a senior in high school. Now, it, you know, get taken to the principal's office. You get, you know, expelled from school if you decide you want to do that. You're offending somebody sitting next to you in, in class. Now you got the Pope giving their blessing to gay marriages. I see now, what you did there with, with calling him they. Oh, well, him, they, them, there, <laughs> however many he is. That's whatever he's going by now. I don't know. But it's, you know, it's a messed up world, and it's getting worse. Book of Revelation. You know, if if you're not familiar with it, Read it. It's, Amen. you know, 
it it's it's happening people and you know my suggestion is is get right with god ask for forgiveness mm-hmm. accept jesus christ and get with a church and have good fellowship man i'll tell you what it was the best thing that happened to me and i waited until i was 48 and i'll tell you i i wish i'd have done it a lot earlier in my life but the things that happened to me in my life it has sure given me a lot of things to be able to talk about and tell people that are young and let them know the mistakes that you can make early on and not to make those types of mistakes like i did amen amen so make sure that you are living your life with purpose and I'll say this from the chair of economics real quick. We haven't talked much about this, but I will say something. You can only reshape a nation if you change the theology, philosophy, culture, Amen. politics. Amen. And there is a monetary desire for this. But right now, I want to talk about a different type of value. I want to talk about where your, where your treasure is. And in this nation... We're about to see, I, I'm, I'm concerned, we're about to see persecution, and it's the church's fault. If the church is persecuted in the United States of America, I'm not talking about China, I'm not talking about in the Middle East, where they are seeing oppression because these people are coming out of it, we have been given Christianity. We have been given the best place to flourish, and we still mucked it up. We still failed. We failed to keep it because we were not intentional with our children. We were not intentional keeping that heritage, and we've lost it. God says, remember. So. For those of you who are being born into this, like Josh and I, and people who are younger, like Mr. Producer, I want y'all to know something. We've talked about it many times on this podcast, but there's a church in Revelation that really stands out to me. And we've talked about it over and over again, but I'm going to read one more time from Sir William Barclay. And actually, we have that on the slide. If you could bring that up, Mr. Producer. I want to read the words of William Barclay on the Church of Smyrna, okay? I want to read what happened to them, because if you remember, they were the poorest church. Do you see Smyrna, religion on the bottom, buddy? There you go. We pulled it up. Thank you. Go ahead and pull that up, Mr. Peterson, because I'm going to read it here. William, Sir William Barclay wrote this on the church that Jesus commended for her hard work. Emperor worship had began as spontaneous demonstration of gratitude to Rome. But towards the end of the first century, in the days of Domitian, the final step was taken and Caesar worship became compulsory. Once a year, the Roman citizen must burn a pinch of incense on the altar to the godhead of Caesar. And having done so, he was given a certificate to guarantee that he had performed his religious duty. All that the Christian had to do was to burn a pinch of incense and say, Caesar is Lord, and they would receive their certificate, go away and worship as they pleased. But that is precisely what the Christian would not do. This is why the the Church of Smyrna was poor. They would give no man the name of Lord that they would keep for Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. They would not conform. There Mm, will come a day where no one shall buy and no one shall sell unless they receive the mark of the beast, signifying that they have bowed and that they have, all I need is the mark. All I need is to burn the pinch of incense incense to Caesar. 
to God, the one who gives me my right to worship as I please, the one who gives me my right to my economics, to my politics, to my culture, to my philosophy, yes, to my theology. There will come a day where that will be demanded of you. People don't go to the gym just to look big. Some people do, but many people go to the gym because I'll, I'll tell you what I go. I go to look big. I go for physical That's strength. I'm fat. You do look big, but uh, he meant muscular. You need to work that. You got all the muscle. You go to the gym if you're a sane person for physical strength, so that you're conditioned, so that when the day of competition comes, or if you're at work, whatever it is, whether you're training for a marathon or you are training for the strength weight day, or if you just want to be ready as a man or a woman who is has a good stewardship over their body and you're ready to go. You don't train for training. There's usually an end goal. That's I mean, right. you're living your spiritual Prepare. life live because there will come a day where you will have to sacrifice and it will be painful. Make sure that coming into this new year that you live intentionally. If you like this podcast, like, comment, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. Thank you so much for over 200,000 downloads of the audio anywhere you can find it. Rumble, YouTube, uh, we are everywhere. We are not on X yet. We'll get there eventually. Uh, we got some priorities to sort out, but we'll figure that out. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, we've got nothing else for you. We pray that you have a wonderful week and a belated Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas. See you. Bye. All right, one last thing, one last thing. We're in a weird position because we're getting this out to you right after Christmas, but it's not Christmas yet for us because we're pre-recording some of these. So tell us in the comment section what your favorite Christmas gift is. And this is a question requested by Mr. Producer. And he's regretting saying that because Josh has an answer. Uh, And we want to go around the room. What do you want for Christmas? Real or joke? Taser. Cheese. Mr. Palmer, you better watch out. <laughs> he's, he's, he's already searching for me. He, he already is. <laughs> Mr. Josh. Kaiser? Mr. Josh. So I have had no idea of what I've wanted for Christmas, but I've had. I said all, all I want is you. All I want, yes, but there's a, but that was like the sus answer. Yeah. The, the real you, answer. You got to get closer, buddy. The, the real answer is probably, so there's a book that, Cole recommended it was uh Mounce's biblical like basics for biblical Greek, and I was looking at that book. But I mean, other than that, I mean, I feel like it's such a weird that's such a weird no, hey, no, Mom, can you answer. give me a Greek textbook? That's such a weird thing to ask for, Mr. Charlie. Uh, my two front teeth, Ooh. actually, hey, you have them. Um, you stole mine. Sorry, <laughs> I um, I don't know what I want. I, I know what I'm getting you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh oh, I don't know. A matching taser. Okay, Mr. Steve. <laughs> hmm. I probably about a few thousand rounds of the ammunition. That's what my son, my husband, both ask. I mean, I, I need I bullet. Want, I Probably. want ammunition. If any of you want to give me a good no. Christmas gift, yeah, absolutely. Five point seven by twenty-eight. I need some of that. Okay, okay. five, five seven. Low. Yeah, five seven. Really? Government's coming. You got a five. Yeah, mm-hmm. sh- uh, the five yeah, seven. Five seven. Will get you catch that.
That's seven by twenty-eight. I also <laughs> take, I take, I take five, five, six, nine millimeter, three hundred eight, twelve gauge. Uh, I like nine. I got, I got a nine. I could use. Anyway, six. so tell us in the comments section down below what you want for Christmas, <laughs> and uh, let us know. Thank you so much. That's it for now. Bye. 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 Bye.